Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, where we help leaders go further, faster. I'm Andy Stanley. And before we jump into today's content, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Belay. Now, if you've listened to our podcast in the past, you know I've talked about Belay before. Several of my friends and associates use this incredible organization. Belay offers five-star virtual assistant services and virtual bookkeeping for churches, nonprofits, and businesses. But what you may not know about Belay is the level of excellence they strive for and achieve in their business. In fact, they've won several awards for their virtual culture, but I want to be clear, their culture is 100% remote. That's what makes them such an unusual organization. There is no brick and mortar corporate office location. So when they say they know how to set people up for excellence when working remotely, they are living it every single day. They are the leader in creating high-performance remote teams both within their own organization and for their clients, and they would love for you to be one of their clients. Now, for all of our podcast listeners, Belay is offering their free download of 13 ways to build a high-performing remote team. It's filled with tips on how to keep your remote team performing as if everybody is in the office together. And you can download it at their website, which is belaysolutions.com, belaysolutions.com slash Andy. That's belay solutions, B-E-L-A-Y solutions.com slash Andy. And now let's jump into today's content on the topic of excellence. I'm excited this month because I get to be the host and I have my friend Horst Schultze in the studio with me to talk about his brand new book, Excellence Wins. Now, if you listened to last month's podcast, you probably went out and purchased his book. And so that's actually going to make this discussion even more fruitful for you. If you did not hear last month's podcast, I really recommend you hit pause, go back and listen to last month's because we're going to pick the conversation up where we left off last time. So, Horst, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Great to be here again. Thank you. Absolutely. As I mentioned last time, Horst is a legend and a leader in the world of hotel management and hotel development. Um, his teaching and his vision have really have reshaped concepts of service and hospitality across several industries, not just the hotel industry. Um, his career spans for more than 65 years. We actually met 25 years ago at a Ritz-Carlton where he was doing management training and training cooks and um, uh, maids and, and bellmen. And uh, I've told that story so many times, I won't repeat it this time, but it was, it was so instrumental for me. It really was a paradigm shift in my personal leadership. He also founded the Capella Hotel Group that continues to define excellence in the hotel industry. As I mentioned last time, Excellence Wins is divided into three sections, and we're focusing on the section that deals with vision. And, and Horst, in the book, you give us four decisions that we make as it relates to visions. I want to recap the first two, and that's where we left off. Then I'm going to let you talk about number three and number four. You said the first decision is strive to inspire. And I marked this quote in the book that said, I will create an environment where people want to do a good job. We don't have to compel them to do a good job. And then we talked about don't settle for less. That was the second decision. And so in this podcast, I want us to talk about three and four and then some ways to implement that in just a minute. So decision number three, you say, is to let nothing cloud the vision. Let nothing cloud the vision. Let's talk about yeah, that one. Don't, don't let yourself be, yourself be sidetracked because, because of circumstances. Circumstances shouldn't manage your company. You, the vision should drive your company. And, and uh, everybody, and, and the, the danger of finding excuses. There is, uh, don't let the excuses cloud you. Because, let me give you an example. I may have done last time, but, uh, but it's just a good example. A simple vision we had in, in our hotel in Boston to run in January 68% occupancy. 68% occupancy. 
intimacy in in the hotel in January. Yeah. In now, Boston. what would in the other hotels? What were they doing in January? Uh, I I have no idea at the time. <laughs> I just sixty eight percent was based on traffic into the city and other other facts that we had. Right. We ended up at fifty five percent. So I call the general manager and say, "What happened?" Obviously, he said, "Oh, this is Boston. Snow, ice, storms." I said, I didn't call for the weather report. <laughs> I called. We had clearly established this, in a way, is a short-term vision. Yeah. And, and I said, w w what happened with this? So, so he said, well, that's why. No. I said, for example, what did the Copley Plaza do, our competitor? Well, they were very slow, too. So you're telling me the guests that were there went there because snow and ice, that's why they didn't come to us. Hmm. I want to find out an answer here. You just can't be clouded. But he felt great. He had an excuse. He felt good. He was clouded by the circumstances, hmm. rather being driven by the plan that we have. And that is true in a short-term plan like that. But this is more so true in the long-term beauty of a plan that you have that is of excellence for all concerned. Again, that's a key. We have to understand what we are thriving for here is of beauty for so, the organization, for everybody. So in the day-to-day, -day, I mean, the, the, the enemy or the, the, com the competition with this is the day-to-day. -day. I, the day -to -day. I have to show up and sure. I know what I have to do by 3 o'clock on Monday, 4 o'clock on Tuesday. So how did you as a leader, because we talked about the difference between leadership and management yeah. last time, which was so great. But as a leader, how do you help your managers keep that from happening with their employees? Because you, you, know, you can't be everywhere at the same time, yeah. but at the same time, you feel the responsibility to keep to help them not allow the details, the day-to-day, -to, -day, to cloud their vision? Was there something you did personally, or was there something you instructed them well, to do? We clearly had measurements that, were, that we knew, the, the areas that we measured, we knew would move us toward the vision, like customer satisfaction, guest satisfaction. We measured it ongoing. Mm -hmm. We knew, if, I knew if I had the greatest employee satisfaction in the industry, I sooner or later would have the greatest customer satisfaction. So you had lead measures that in fa impacted that's, these lag measures. That, that's and, you, it. and focusing their attention on those leads kept them from the day-to-day -day clouding and that's losing correct. sight of that's the, correct. those lag That's what we yet. measured. So I didn't, I didn't say we, we didn't make our vision because that was something far off. I said right. you didn't make those measurements work under correction or let me help you to work under correction. So our customer satisfaction, our employee satisfaction, our future indicators went up. So it is managing the future through the measurements of what you're doing today. One of the things you talk about in this section of the book is that actually success can also cloud the vision. That a, exactly. a group can get oh, yeah. so caught up in keeping up with success That's that right. they feel successful. That's right. But they're not actually they're they're off vision again. That's right. You have to you have to be on vision. The, the vision should direct everything. We, uh, I'm I'm I work on uh, I work with Cancer Treatment Centers of America. We don't start a meeting without discussing the vision of being the absolute finest for people who suffer with cancer. No meeting, no meeting in Ritz-Carlton was ever done without discussion. Here is the reason for this meeting. We shouldn't have this meeting unless it serves us to eventually com uh, accomplish our vision. Mm. We shouldn't do anything unless it serves 
us toward the vision that we have because that vision is of beauty. That vision, we know if we accomplish this vision, we will be also the most successful financially. That plays a role, obviously. In the book, you tell a story that I hate to admit to our podcast listeners was so convicting to me. You served on a board at one point, and you said at the beginning of every board meeting, they immediately went to the financials. And you eventually raised your hand and said, hey, I I don't want to tell – you can tell the story better than I can. But you said, hey, before we get buried in the details – why are we here? Can you, you remember that story? Well, of course. That's, that's kind of what I refer to, and I, I've brought that up in every board I belong to. Why are we here? Of course, again, it, it comes back to this very driving thing that I see everywhere. People, more and more because of having to report to Wall Street every three months and so on, the money is managed. Yeah. The money Wall is Street managed. could care less about the vision. Could, could care less about yeah. it. Could care less how excellent you are. Could care less how, how much you thrive to be a, a, a company for the future. They can't just re- worry about this one report. And consequently, that's, and the manager who accomplishes gets the applause. Hmm. That, so so what is, what's the concentration sooner or later? Sooner or later, it's all just the money rather than being short-term ca- gain. Short-term, short-term gain, gain yeah. rather than accomplishing excellence in what you're doing long-term and consequently make more money eventually. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it is. And of course, I, I raised that on the board where I am. Obviously, I'm convicted to this. Wait a second. Why are we here in this room? Yeah. That's one of the problems of writing a book. Then you're accountable to your own <laughs> words, I've that's learned. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and in yeah. this case, that, that's a good one. Okay, so four decisions. Um, strive to inspire. We talked about that last time. Don't settle for less. Let nothing cloud the vision, including success or failure or complexity. That's right. I, I find in my world, complexity oftentimes clouds the vision. And then the fourth one um, is always look for ways to improve or always look wow. Uh, to improve in our organization, we've talked about this here. We talk about make it better, make it better. Yeah. So, well, it, it, it's not enough to say those words, frankly. It, there has to be. It, you have to be somewhat scientific about it. And it, the, it, that is the word of the words about continuous improvement. Your organization has to. Prom- improve consistently. You can improve your organization by major financial uh, infusions and and some other things, but the real way of continuously improving is by continuously eliminating mistakes that you make. Here's the beauty in any organization. If you eliminate a mistake, you generally improve your product and lower your cost. And that is as opposed to cost cutting. The problem is most people, most organizations look, how can we cut, cut cost? That's not improving because m- generally when you cut cost, you're taking something away from your customer. That means it didn't improve. In, in, in my business, to make, give you a simple example, the hotel, the hotel manager may decide, well, let's change, let's, uh, uh, the flowers that we buy, let's, have half as many in the vase, this way we save money. And sure enough, he gets applauded, he or she gets applauded by the corporate office that they saved money. But the fact is they took something away from the guest. Or the pretty soon the soap gets a little smaller. <laughs> and then there's a cheaper towel mm-hmm. and they get applauded for saving money. The reality is they did not improve, they went worse. Now, the opposite of that is continuous improving. 
and keeping, not taking anything away from the guest, deliver the same product, but figure out how you can do it with less cost to you by eliminating mistakes. And that's a, that's a value. That's a way of thinking. That's a way of thinking. Absolutely. So, so in your experience, when, when things were tight, either during a season or at a particular hotel, and, and you could feel people kind of leaning toward, oh, I've got to make, I've got to get applause. So I need to, you know, lower, I need to yeah. raise the bottom line, lower the cost. What was your response? Well, I mean, did you have a typical response to that? That's why you don't only measure the financial. That's why you measure the customer satisfaction ongoing, constantly, and have an expectation that, that our expectation was that top box, over 90% of the guests would say, I want to come back and want to recommend you. If that dropped, invariably, when you dug into the details, you found that we had a shortcut somewhere. You took something away. Took something away. Wow. Invariably. Wow. And, and that is, that is a, if you continue doing that, that's a death sentence of the organization. And we've all seen that. We've all been to our favorite sure. restaurant and sure. there was something different. That's right. And you, That's and you, either another company had taken over, another management company. That's you, right. you, you know, you just, you there's, just know there's a coffee shop not too far from here. And um, I, one day I could, it was just different. I went back, it was just different. And I asked somebody else at work, I said, have you noticed? I said, yeah. And then they said, they told me this company just purchased them and took over management. And you could just tell. Yeah, it was, tell. again, same employees. Um, it was just different. So pe people know. But in the moment, they applaud themselves because I bet they made more money for yeah. the moment. Yeah. So they applaud themselves and repeat the wrong that they're doing. And that, of course, we have to be very careful as an organization that I, I'm, it's not my opinion what I'm doing. It's not the money what I'm doing. It's what the customer feels about me. That's amazing, Horst. Well, before we move on to the next section, um, as I mentioned at the top of our broadcast, Belay is our sponsor, and they're actually offering a free download entitled 13 Ways to Build a High-Performing Remote Team. So you can create high-performing remote teams in your organization. If your folks are scattered around the country or maybe just scattered around a part of your city, Belay is your solution. You can download the tool and find out more about Belay at belaysolutions.com slash Andy. That's belaysolutions, B-E-L-A-Y, dot com slash Andy. Now, this leads us to the next section of the book that was so powerful. Um, and even, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a pastor. I, I work in nonprofit world. But all of these things were so relevant because um, one of the things that we struggle with or that we have conversations about is you have to measure in order to know if you're winning. You can't, and you talk about in the book, it's more than just your gut. It's more than just your intuition. That works for a while, especially for an entrepreneur or somebody, who, a founder. But when things, you know, things grow beyond that. But then the question comes, if we have to measure and measure our success by things we measure, what should we measure? And you give some, some very pointed um, um, applications as it relates to that. And I'd love to talk about, you talk about the three key things to measure. Of course, we measure much more than that. But as as a leader of the of the company, we had over 50 hotels, you understand. I couldn't look in every detail. How did you like check-in? How did you like the linen and so on? I didn't. I couldn't look at that. I had to study the overall moving part, that the parts that would move the company forward. And to me, that was customer satisfaction. We measured it on on a scale of one to ten, and only we only nines and tens counted as excellent. Mm. So, and in fact, you have to be careful here. There are three types of customers. The ones that vote you one, two, and three, they become 
enemies against your company. They're terrorists against your company the because they took better low ratings. Low rating. Right. And then you have the satisfaction rating, which is between four and eight. Satisfaction means they're not your customers. They happen to be okay with what you did. But if next door they offer something, a, a deal, that's where they're going to go. But then the, those that vote in 9 and 10 are loyal to you. And that's what you want to shoot for, that you have loyal customers. And that's what we to measure. To move more people to that 9 and 10. That's right. Yeah. A great organization, number one, they keep the customers that they have. And so only 9s and 10s want to come back, want to recommend you. So we measured very careful who are the 9s and 10s and what did we miss on the 8s and 7s? How could we move them into the 9s and 10s? That's the measurement of customer satisfaction. Very careful, very detailed. In fact, an outside company did it for us. Mm. For many years, J.D. Power did. Later, another company did it. So we knew, constantly I knew, every hotel, if we were keeping our guests or not. And of course, then we measured employee satisfaction, similarly careful, very careful. And, and by the way, after 10 years working with Shady Power, they could tell if the employee satisfaction dropped by one point, how much it would impact the customer satisfaction. Really? And consequently- In, in multiple industries, and, yeah, or just hotel in, industry. In, in our business, working with them, I don't know what how they did, gotcha. do with others. We could tell, we would know, in fact, we could then tell how much that would mean on the bottom line. Wow. So it, 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 so the it all, so, the, so the, the, the first measurement, customer satisfaction, customer satisfaction. drove everything That's to, right. to some extent. That's right. Employee satisfaction. Employee, yeah. And then, of course, we measured, the, uh, we also looked at the daily uh, uh, economics, of course, mm -hmm. every morning. And then we looked at the future indicators that we had. We saw that I could tell we are ahead of the game to where we were, it's a very simple measure. If today uh, on the 29th of, 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 uh, of July, if a year ago I had six reservations and now for today, and now I have 20, I'm ahead of the game. But if I have only five, Wait a minute. It's year over year Signal. comparisons. I'm, right. a, I'm, I'm behind my indicators. So, so it can, of course, we looked at the economics and other dollars every day clearly, but I looked more careful on the things that make the dollars, and that was employee satisfaction, customer satisfaction. If it dropped, my expectation in customer satisfaction was that 90% top box said, I want to come back and want to recommend you. If it was not our over 90%, 92% effect, I done communicated with the managers responsible. So this is per hotel you're talking about? Per hotel. About. Mm -hmm. If it was not corrected within two months, everybody knew, be careful, if you don't correct it very fast, I will move into your hell, new <laughs> hotel and correct it myself. <laughs> So Horse pressure, is, pressure <laughs> is still on. You know, I'm sorry, that, Mr. Schultz. We with, don't have any vacancies. You with, can't move into our With hotel. all the leadership <laughs> and all the empowerment, the pressure yeah. of correcting things yeah. has to still be on. Now, I want to back up and talk about something you touched on, and then we, we talked about these three, these three things that you gave the most attention to. Um, would you agree? I, this is my opinion, but you, you have far more insight into this than I do. The temptation is to measure everything that's measurable, and generally, the things that are easiest to measure are not the most important things to keep our eye on. 
I mean, it's easy to measure dollars, income, oh, expense, it's, it's easy. employees, um, it's easy. cost per employee, all those things. And those are important. But how did you – do you have an insight in how we should determine what are the two or three most important things to keep our eye on? Because I've learned if I can discover what those are and, and hyper-focus on the two or three things, the way you said it was, that really make all the difference. There yeah. are, I'm sure there are a thousand things in the hotel industry you could measure. Your dashboard oh, sure, could be sure. pages and pages. Sure. But you, you somehow either intuitively or through experience knew these are the three things. No, it wasn't intuitive. <laughs> we, we measured, we first went to the customer and said, what is important to you? And then we measured against what's important to the customer, not what is important to me. We, uh, Chedi Power at the time, we, when I said we, we use outside companies for that and also for the employee survey. We went out and said, what is important for you? Mm-hmm. And when you go to a hotel on a business travel, on vacation travel, we broke it down. And once we knew the importance, that was our key measurement. And so now we went, went back and said, how did we live up to the expectation of the customer? Wow. And the same thing with the employees. We went to the employees, what's important to them. And, and, and you know, everybody, when, when, when you have big turnover and you ask the manager, why did the employees leave? They will all sell this money. But we knew from our studies, money was about an eighth place of importance for the eighth, eighth place wow. of importance. For example, belonging was number one. A sense of, of freedom and elbow room for the guest, for the employee was number two. Meaning the employee wanted to say, want to express how they could do their job better than we, we determined they should do it. Wow. So, so other things. So we measured against those things. How are you, go, how are you going to live? How, how do you feel you belong? Do you feel you have opportunities with us, etc.? So we measured against the base work that was done on what their expectation is, not what we thought wow. we should measure. But, but figuring that out per industry or per company or organization is ex- it's just extraordinarily important because as a leader, it, again, it gives you the right things to measure against. Because going back to what we talked yeah. about earlier, the complexity, every organization is so complex. It is, again, it's difficult sometimes to know as the leader because as a manager, whatever you ask the manager to manage, they will manage to sameness. That's that's their job. But for the leader to identify, you know, there may be a dozen things I could look at, but what are the things that really move this organization forward? Exactly. And how do I channel or focus the energy of the employee on those few things that move the organization well, forward? And, and there we were very scientific. We used scientifically, we used outside companies to identify what it is. We didn't listen to my mother-in-law making <laughs> comment after, vis- after visiting. Right. You know. She didn't like her but room. But many, many people do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, well, the squeaky I, wheel gets the grease and I, the anecdotal evidence. I heard st- stories like that. I mm-hmm. was sitting beside somebody in a plane, and he said, X, so we're going to do that. That's a, that's a study of one. That's a very dangerous yeah. thing. <laughs> and in fact, the study of one is also true. Your opinion is only a study of one. The boss's opinion is only a study of one. It's not a market study. <laughs> wow. Well, Horst, we're about out of time, and usually at this point in the podcast, I ask our guests, is there anything, is there any last word you'd like to, to share with our audience? But instead of giving you that freedom, um, I would like 
to ask you to share something specific that is from your specific that's from your book. In 1992, um, you had an un- unexpected interruption um, that not only put all of your professional success into perspective, but it really put your entire life in perspective. And I think for the leaders in our audience. Um, um, you're further down the road than most of us in terms of life and age and experience and success. I think this would be a, a great opportunity for them to hear um, about that unexpected interruption. Yes, <laughs> yes, it was unexpected. Things were going great. Ritz Cullen was growing phenomenally. We got recognition all over. We were voted best here and best there. We, all, we, we were going international, uh, great people. I was working with and uh, things were great. I had three children, one and a half, five and nine. And of course, my older, do- my older do- daughter. Uh, and so I met four, my four girls, my wife, uh, we were happy. Things were going great. When I had a checkup, and I was told you have cancer, and not only that, I was told this is a very unusual cancer, and this cancer always come always comes back as a snowstorm. And in fact, they used the word snowstorm. That means it comes back all over. Of course, I looked for uh, second opinions. The opinion was everywhere the same, and uh, it it shakes you up. I looked at my children and I said, I have a year and one and a half year old, and so they would never even know me. Like, how can I can influence them? And uh, suddenly, everything changes. This is, an, this is immense when this happens, and I'm sure there are listeners who have experienced that or mm-hmm. experienced it today. It, it eliminates all egos. It eliminates all the, the veneer of the world, all the pride and all the ambitions. All is gone. And frankly, what is left, and I think people should know that, what is left, there's only one hope, one more vision, and that's God. The only hope left. And I, I, I had one of the great experiences, and, and allow me to share this here. I mean, I, when, when, when some of my friends from a Bible class where I went came to me and prayed for me. And I mean, mind you, I'm German. That, that was very... This is not something we, we don't even hug first. We get to know each other, but coming to pray for me, wow, wait a minute, this is kind of a little bit weird, even though I wanted it badly because that's all I had left. And they came and prayed for me, deeply prayed. And when they left, I was a different human being because, and I said, that's what I want to be. I want to be a godly person because they were godly men who did that. And it, uh, it, it was a traumatic change and traumatic experiences I had. It truly, truly changed my mind, my life. All the successes, all the stuff, and you realize it's really nothing. It's so, so moment, such a moment. And when you look at forwards, by the way, I, I also, like I guess we all do, we all know we shouldn't do it, but I negotiated with God. Hmm for another 15 years, please, so that I could see my children somewhat grow up and impact them. And that is 25 years ago. Wow. So I, I, believe me, and I'm not just saying that I am every day, I mean every day, grateful to God that I had this time. I know this was a huge gift, a huge gift. I'm grateful. I drive into my my house, my driveway, and I thank God every day for my wife, for my family, for God, to, that I could be here. We thank God, my wife, and I thank God this morning that I'm actually still mm. here. 
So it is a huge experience. And if you don't experience, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm wondering what do people without Jesus do when they hit this moment? And everybody will hit a moment like that. It may not be cancer, but everybody hits a moment like that. What, what are you going to do? Why not capture the relationship with Jesus now before it happens, not mm. then? Wow. So, so it, it, is, it is truly a major uh, moment. And, I, 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 and I, I kind of preach this. I'm not very good at it. But I, I, I try to preach it, and, and I nearly try to beat people into it <laughs> because I'm scared, because I know they will happen this moment. I know how traumatic it is. It's, it's overwhelming. Wow. Well, when I, uh, I knew that a little bit about that story, but at the end of the book, when you go into that kind of detail and what the doctors told you and uh, what has happened, it truly is a miracle. Oh, of course. And so um, thank you for your life. Thank you for your sharing your success. Thank you for being a steady plotter in a very difficult um, industry and uh, for being a great example to many of us. Uh, you're about to be 80. I'm over 80. Only, I'm closer to 81 than to 80. You're closer to 81 <laughs> than to 80, and yet you're still so motivated, working so hard. Yeah. And this book, Excellence Wins, it's not, only, uh, it's not only transferable principles, it's your life. And for those of you who have not yet read it or picked it up, you really should get it. Even uh, the audio version is available, but just find this book. And the introduction, when you hear read horse story as a child, is going to inspire you. And when you get to the end, and he shares a little in even more detail about his um, his coming to terms with his success within the context of the, the broader picture, it's so powerful. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, not sharing that would have been nearly a lie. This is part of who I am, yep. and part of the thinking that went into some of the writing. Yep. So I had to share this. Well, you told me earlier you did not enjoy writing this book, but I am so grateful that you pushed through and wrote this book. Thanks so much for thank being you. with us. Nice to be with you. So here's a question for our, our listeners, <laughs> and, and I'm, at, I'm talking to myself as well, is do we all have a beautiful vision for the future? And uh, again, when you think about nonprofits, that seems a little bit easier, but you are in a you know, bottom line uh, for-profit industry and yet felt that, and I, I heard it, I saw, I experienced it and, and felt comfortable using the word beautiful as you think about this vision, because that's what people want. Podcast listeners, you can right now, wherever you, you purchase books, find Excellence Wins, Excellence Wins by Horst Schultze. And if Horst is a is a not a familiar name to you, his last name is spelled S-C-H-U-L-Z-E. So pick up the book. Thanks so much for being with us.